morning. We'll be reading this morning from uh, the book of Matthew as we start into our Lent series. Uh, we'll be uh, reading from Math, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So that's on page 809 of these uh, blue Bibles that uh, are in the seat in front of you. So that's Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him, and, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah? Oh, good. Uh, my voice is um, struggling a little bit, so I'm um, sort of going for that southern gospel preacher sound this morning. <clears throat> but here we are, first first week in our Lenten, uh, Lenten series. Uh, you probably heard people say that Lent is, Lent is 40 days, uh, the 40 days of Lent. You'll hear people mention this, and then you look at the calendar and it's it looks like 46 at least, right? Lent starts on Ash Wednesday and it goes till Easter Sunday or Good Friday, depending on what part of the church you're from. Um, but Sundays are not included in Lent. Sundays are resurrection days, so they're not fast days. Um, so when you come on Sundays during Lent, uh, you have full permission to come with a smile on your face. You don't even have to fake that you're fasting, right? It's just like Sundays is Resurrection Day. So here we are on Sunday, first Sunday of Lent, and it's Resurrection Day, and we're all here together. And we're talking about things like, like uh, sponsoring refugee families to come uh, to Canada. Oh man, that's resurrection, isn't it? That's, that's hope. I love it. Here we are. First uh, Sunday of Lent, and some of, some of you probably uh, participated in Lent before on your journeys, your Christian journeys, and some of you haven't. Um, Lent can seem like sort of a funny word, right? It's, if, if, you're, if you're sort of grown up in certain church circles, you think, what, what in the world is, is Lent? Is it some sort of mystical word, you know, that the church concocted? Actually, it's not too mystical at all. It just means springtime spring season so it's the it's the season 
before Easter. And the church has adopted this as a season of preparation, preparing our hearts uh, for Easter. So in the history of the church, going right back to the beginning, um, Christians have entered into a time of fasting as a way of preparing our hearts. And fasting means a whole bunch of different things, and we'll touch a little bit on that. But um, And it's, it's a time of preparing our personal hearts and our corporate heart, you know, as a church for Resurrection Sunday. So we lean in deep to Lent so that when we get to the moment of the empty tomb, we're like feeling it in our bellies, right? In the deep parts of our beings. So we're saying that, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just another weekend. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is really important and we need, it's so important we need to prepare for it, you know, for, for 40, 46 days. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to carve out some time and say this isn't like, any, you know, all the other times in the year. This is a special time. This is like a, a climactic moment for Christians. So Lent is an amazing time. And it's an important time. And if you've never sort of entered into any sort of Lenten fast before, don't, don't get hung up on, you know, that, that you know, some other parts of the Christian faith do this and you don't want to be associated with that sort of dead religion or anything like that. Just, just lean in. Lean in. See what happens. Could be crazy. Right? Could be just nuts. You might come out the other end looking a little bit more like Jesus, and that would be just like unthinkable, right? But, you know, um, Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, and, on, you know, in traditional bits of the church, and I'm sort of part of one of those traditional bits of the church, and we've definitely got our problems. But um, on Ash Wednesday, um, on Ash Wednesday, people come to church and... Um, one of the climactic moments of Ash Wednesday is when the, the pastor, the priest, people come forward and they, they take the ashes which are made from the palm branches from the previous year, you know, from Palm Sunday. They take the ashes and they rub their, they put some oil in there, you know, a symbol of the Spirit and they take those ashes and they put it on the forehead and, and when they're doing that, when the priest does that, he says, remember that you are but dust and to dust you shall return Turn from sin and follow Christ. Remember that you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. Turn from sin and follow Christ. I think that's brilliant. It's really good. And that's kind of what Lent is about. You know, we're sort of, we're going to remember just that we're like, we're not gods ourselves. We're human beings. We're creatures who serve and love the one and only God. We are not that God. We are but dust, and to dust we're going to return someday. We're frail. And so what we should do in the meantime is we should turn from sin and follow Christ. And that's not something to, you know, necessarily mourn and wail about. That's something to be excited about. Lent is an amazing season of time that started on Wednesday. And I'm, uh, I'm excited about this, uh, this series we're going to do that sort of hopefully will help us into that that feel that we're going to remember that we're but dust and to dust we shall return and we're going to do our best to turn from sin and to follow Christ. That's good stuff. Lent, uh, you know, if, if we had to sort of concoct a prayer to get us close to the heart of Lent, it might sound something like this. 
that God would transform us, heal us, forgive us. And as we journey towards the cross and the resurrection, that He would rescue us from the sin that troubles our ability to reflect God rightly into the world. It would sound something like that. You don't have to pray a prayer with all those fancy words. You could probably do something much more simple. But, that, but, but that's a prayer. You know, that's what's going on in my heart as we're, we're preparing for Lent. So we're going to talk a lot about sin, you know, which some people don't like talking about sin. It doesn't bother me a whole bunch. Because i got plenty of it, right? I've had to examine it um, quite often. For some of you, you know, you don't have much. So you've never seen it. But, um, but there are other people, you know, like Jim who read the scriptures. That, you know, he just... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the theologian Scott Hahn, he, he defi- defines sin like this. He says, the classic definition of sin... The classic definition describes sin as a turning away from God and toward creatures, toward a lesser good. What is sin? It's essentially loving things that are not God as though they are God. Loving things that are not God as though they are God. So letting something else have such an ultimate place in directing our lives and our affections and our feelings and our emotions and our relationships and all that other stuff we do that, things just get funky. And so Lent offers us a moment to turn away from those things and to turn to Christ. Turn our back on those things as best as we can and to turn to Christ. It's a way of turning our affections away from things that we have loved that have produced all kinds of stuff in us that, you know, just are not very helpful. We talk about sin, it's not about, it's not about like, beating each other up. It's about trying to get healed up, right? It's not so we can look across the room and, you know, look at our neighbor and go, yeah, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not him listening to this sermon or her. It's about saying, Lord, I know I don't totally reflect you and I actually feel the pain and the misery of that. Would you heal me? Talk about sin. That's the kind of, kind of feel we should have and repentance, turning the other way. Why wouldn't we want to turn away from some of this stuff that just breaks us up, destroys our relationships, destroys our ability to, uh, to reflect God into the world? Lent is, uh, or turning from sin is about turning away from the lesser to embrace the greater. It's about embracing and rejecting, embracing and rejecting. And these are the two hands of Lent, embracing and rejecting. And this might be a helpful way for you to approach Lent, to ask the question, what do I need to reject? But then also, what do I need to embrace? Because we're remembering that we're, we're dust and we're turning away from sin, but it's not just turning away from sin to nothing. It's what does it look like to embrace Christ? You know, what, in, a, in a very positive sense, how can I embrace Christ more in a particular area of my life? So if we thought about this through the lens of rejection, what are those things which you have loved more than God that are impeding your journey with God? What are they? The way forward might bring to mind or bring these things to mind, and this would be an opportunity to sort of repent of them and then to try to abstain. You know, if there's a practice or a habit in your life that you're like, this is actually like really destructive for me. It's not helpful. 
maybe you can just try through Lent to abstain. See if you can develop a new habit, you know, that looks a little bit more like Jesus. You know, if you're, for instance, if you're, if you're a person that like, like me, I mean, I, I live with a pretty full schedule. And during Lent, one of my, one of the things I'm hoping to do is to carve out more time to do a little bit of nothing. Uh, and nothing be hope, being hopefully a time I can fill with some prayer or some more prayerful reflection. Or you might be someone, you know, we've talked enough about this, but um, if you struggle with your speech or gossip or something like this, um, Lent would be a great time to just say, I'm going to reject some of this for a bit, really consciously. And I'm probably not going to do it perfectly, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do some rejecting of that. Or if you're, you know, if you're an addictive person, you know, you just got one of those proclivities and you have an addiction of some sort, um, this would be a moment to try to, a moment in the church's life where we just sort of give it an extra go by the power of the Spirit and reject some of that stuff. See what happens. You never know. God might meet you in the midst of that. It'd be amazing if He did, wouldn't it? And then the other side of the, the Lenten coin is you know, what, what can we embrace? This is a season that's trying to help us journey closer to God, not just walk away from other things. So what would it look like to maybe increase our study of the Scriptures during Lent? If, you, if it's not like a habit for you to read the Bible in the morning, maybe just take five minutes, try to lean into it a little bit. Maybe, uh, maybe this would be a time of embracing God's love uh, for the poor, find a place to serve during Lent. Give give something to somebody. Chase God's heart. Maybe it, maybe it would be a good idea to find some s- sort of really good book that you know that's going to be edifying. Carve out some time and learn something new about Jesus, about the Scriptures, about our faith. Maybe it's a time to, you know, practice being really deeply encouraging to those around you with the way that you speak. Find somebody to build up every day. That might be a great idea. Maybe, maybe it's a time to practice some extra generosity. You know, if you know in your heart you're a bit greedy and a bit stingy, you know, just do something to, do something to mess that up a little bit. Give a little bit extra. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not segueing into a, a, a message on giving uh, to the church. I mean, just give anywhere. I mean, just, just sort of wreck the stuff in your heart that's sort of holding you back and embrace a different way of being. If you're, if you're kind of a grouchy person, maybe try to be kind. Just practice it. Because this stuff is like, you know, this is about de- developing virtues. And virtues are something you develop through practicing them. It's like developing a muscle. You want to be a kinder person. You just got to lean into it and be more kind and pray that the Spirit would help you. Well, so there's some, there's some ideas about Lent. But you know, this, this journey of Lent is not just about being a bunch of do-gooders. You know, just about being nicer religious people. The whole thing about Lent, this, this is about Christ-likeness. Trying to do what we can by the power of the Spirit to look a little bit more like Christ. So we're going we're gonna to reject some things that, you know, maybe are unhelpful 
in helping us look like Christ. We're going to embrace some things that maybe do look a little bit more like Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about Christ-likeness. How are we as individuals and corporately as a church going to reflect Christ better in the world that we live in? And what joy it is to think about this. You know? That over this season of time, we might come out the other end just reflecting Jesus a little bit better. And it might be hard. It might be a little bit of work. But, but what joy it would be if that happened. If we got to Easter Sunday morning and you just looked back at your life and you went, gosh, I'm just, I just feel like I am reflecting Jesus just a little bit better to the world after this season of time. Man, that would be just amazing. It'd be amazing. So... Let's quickly look at this text that we've decided now that I've segued by talking a little bit about Lent. Um, we're beginning our Lenten journey by looking here at um, Matthew chapter 4. This is, a, this is sort of a historic Lenten text. It's, about, it's this narrative about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. A few verses before this, if you're looking in your Bible, um, which you probably want to do just to make sure I'm not a heretic, um, you might still not even catch my heresy. But anyways, <clears throat> that's why I just speed through some stuff. Anyways, um, a few verses earlier, though, um, Jesus is getting, getting baptized in the Jordan River. And it's important to sort of stop and just sort of look at this movement. We're sort of like the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. We got some sort of like movement going on here that we should that should be sort of you know, we should be picking up on something here if we're, if we're entering in right, rightly into this text. You know, where else in the, the story of God's people do we hear about passing through waters and then a wilderness or a desert experience? Where else do we hear about this? Of course, it's like, it's the, you know, the exodus, right? God's people are released from slavery, under the Egyptians, and then they've got to pass through the, the sea, and then they come out the other end into the wilderness. And one of the things uh, that Matthew's you know, trying to do in this text is he's trying to get us to see uh, that Jesus is, is kind of, he's the representation of his people. So he's kind of like Israel, all sort of squished together. In one God-man. And he's taking the journey of Israel. The journey that Israel took out of Egypt through the waters and into the desert, but failed. They failed lots in the desert. Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to come out, pass through the waters, and go into the desert, and he's going to nail it. So, you know, if you were, if you were a first century Palestinian Jew listening to this, I mean, this would all just be so, you know, it's so deep within your narrative. You know, you're, you're, you're wondering what's going to go on here with this Jesus character. Is he going to nail it? I mean, thankfully, we get, you know, we read the end of the book, so uh, we know he, he does nail it. But here, here we are. You got Jesus passing through. He's, he's entering into the Exodus movement. And you'll remember that for Israel, God's people, the desert is the place where after God brought them out of Egypt, He now takes some time to get Egypt out of them. 
He brings them out of Egypt. He passes them through the waters. And now He takes them into the desert to get Egypt out of them. To where He gives them His ways, His law. Where He tries to help them become worshipers of Yahweh. So they can more appropriately reflect Him to the world. So they can be the light of the world. He brings them into the desert to change them. To bless them so that they can be a blessing to the world around them. In the wilderness, or the desert, His people are tested. And they're refined before they're able to inherit the land. You know, before they're able to get to resurrection, they've got to pass through the cross. So the progression, rescue, baptism, wilderness, promised land. <clears throat> what we know though, sadly, is that you know, Israel often failed the tests that they were given in the wilderness. And in the larger picture of the Old Testament, we're, we, we know the story, right? That, that Israel failed many of their tests and they were exiled from their homeland because of their sin and their failure to trust God. They were continuously turning to idols. And this led to chaos and led them back to all kinds of slavery. All kinds of slavery. So what we're waiting for, you know, at the end of the Old Testament, is we're waiting for a, a Messiah figure who will again lead them out of the wilderness. Someone with authority to make away through the wilderness. So Israel, they have a call to be, you know, to be um, corporately the light to the world. And what they need now is they need a Messiah that will lead them through the wilderness and into that place where they can again be the light of the world. And if, you, um, if you get bored during this sermon, just start reading, uh, reading through, you know, skip ahead a little bit and see if you can find stuff on being the light of the world. You're not going to get bored though, because this is just going to be fantastic. I'm really not that funny, am I? Because that, that was a total patronizing laugh, wasn't it? I'm so used to it. I've been married for almost 20 years now, so she doesn't think I'm funny. It's okay. It's I I I've realized this. So. So this is where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 4. We're looking for a Messiah who can pass through the waters and then go through the wilderness. In verses 1 and 2 it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert and He fasted for 40 days. And in this we can sort of hear echoes of Moses who was the deliverer of God's people who was led by God's Spirit. You know, He led God's people uh, through the waters and into the, into the desert. <clears throat> And the question becomes, okay, well, we're looking at this Jesus character, this new leader, this rescuer of God's people. Are we kind of looking at a new Moses, a new Messiah figure? And probably the answer is yes. And, and the other question we're asking is, is this Messiah figure going to probably lead us into a place where we can maybe become the light of the world? And the answer is probably yes. So Jesus is hungry and he's weak and the devil comes to him and says, hey listen, if you're the son of God, why don't you make bread here in the desert to feed yourself? Why don't you make bread here in the desert and feed yourself? I mean, if you are the one, maybe that is the chosen one of God, maybe you can sort of 
um, do a miracle for yourself. Maybe like Moses, he did a few miracles in the desert. Maybe you can do one for yourself. The question is whether Jesus would seek to prove himself to be the Son of God by choosing to eat and satisfy himself like Adam did in the garden. Remember? Adam, oh man, he's like, sorry fella, I mean, you're going to meet him someday, right? You're going to get to heaven, you're going to be like shaking hands, high five, chest bump, you know, everybody, and then you're going to see Adam be like, sorry bro. <laughs> sorry bro, give me some time, okay? I, you know, I'm going to need about 100,000 years, and then we'll talk, but until you realize that we're all Adam, right? Oh, shoot. But Jesus, would Jesus resist, you know, the temptation of Adam to um, take his own needs into his own hands and to use his own wisdom to solve his own problems? Would he capitulate to the temptation where Adam failed or will he succeed? And Jesus, of course, succeeds where Adam and Israel failed. He rejects the words of the devil and decidedly roots his trust in the word of God. God's way of being in the world. He trusts God's way over his own. It's God's way of being that will be his sustenance. That's where his trust will be. He rejects the desire for immediate satisfaction to embrace something better long term. And you know, Lent asks us the question of whether we will seek immediate satisfaction or we'll seek delayed satisfaction. You know, and as modern Westerners who have so much, we're just not good at waiting for satisfaction, are we? We're just not good at it. And I'm deliberately saying we. I'm with you. We're just, we're just not very good at delayed satisfaction. But maybe that's something to think about during this Lent. How do we train ourselves better? Resist the immediate need to satisfy, to take things into our own hands, to use our own power to achieve. <clears throat> and then in verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 to 7, the devil comes to further test his trust. He says, throw yourself down off this ledge and prove, you know, that God is with you. He twists the scriptures, obviously. And here we're reminded of how Israel was in the desert. You can read this later in Exodus chapter 17. And they wanted something to drink. Because they're thirsty, they begin grumbling against Moses. They're demanding that he do something. And behind their complaint to Moses was a lack of trust that God was actually with them. You know, when I was reflecting on this Exodus text this week, I was thinking not, oh, those Israelites. I was thinking, oh man, how many times have I got myself, found myself in a wilderness situation and my first reaction is, well, God must not be with us. He must not be here anywhere. You know, I must be alone out here. Did God really bring me here? Did He really bring me into this? This was Israel. They started to grumble, just like you and I do. And they tested God. 
got a little angsty. They pushed Moses. You know, show us that, show us that you're here with us. Lacking trust. You know, give us a drink. Prove yourself. Now. Prove yourself in the midst of this. I'm a little tired of the way that you're treating me here. I can't hear your voice. I don't know where you are. Prove yourself. So they tested God with their attitude. Prove you're powerful. Prove that you've let us out here. And fundamentally, in this instance at least, this exemplified a lack of trust. And Jesus in this moment is challenged in the midst of the wilderness to test God too. I mean, if you're really the Son of God, if God is really present with you, that if you throw yourself off this building, you know, surely He'll do a, a miracle for you. Wouldn't you want to prove yourself by demanding a miracle? And Jesus does not fail in this trust test, though, where Israel failed. He rejects the possibility of God proving it, of forcing God to prove his hand and says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Lent asks also the question of whether we will test or whether we'll trust. Whether we'll test or whether we'll trust. And then finally, in verses 8 to 10, sort of 11, Jesus has offered the possibility of gaining the kingdoms of this world. Gaining the kingdoms of this world. Well, how do you gain these kingdoms? Well, you know, what would it look like for Jesus to be a Messiah like other Messiahs? An emperor like other emperors? It would come about by following the paths of the warlords, the power of the world, power, domination, war, and violence, conquering, military might. But if you follow this path, you might find that the God that you're worshiping and the God that you're reflecting into the world is not Yahweh. It's not Yahweh, because Yahweh's way does not look like that. Israel had failed in its vocation so many times by reflecting the, the kingdoms of this world. Remember that little story where David, David makes a real bummer of a mistake. He decides, God to, had told him not to, and he decides to count his army. Remember that story? counts his army, and he takes a census among the people, and it's a real bad move. Why is it a big deal? Why does it matter that he counted his army? Is, why does it seem like God is not pleased with this? Well, because the kings of this earth put their trust in, in chariots and horses, in their military might, in their, in their power, in their ability to dominate. But the kingdom of God is not like this. The kingdom of God is defined by the towel. By a God who gets on his knees and washes feet. You can't come about the kingdom of God by using the tools of the kingdom 
of the world. And when we do, when we use those tools, we do not reflect Yahweh rightly into the world. We, we reflect something else and we show that we're worshiping something else. At the heart of this problem is, is misdirected worship. There are kingdoms though, and you know this, I know this in my guts. I know this in my guts. There are kingdoms you can have if you will just worship Him. Right? If you'll just give Him a little bit of allegiance. If you'll just give Him a little bit of allegiance in your business and the way that you run your business. You know? Just treat that person just a little bit you know, in a little bit of a shady way. Just twist that word just a little bit. If you'll just use these tools, oh man, you, you, you'll have the kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world, I'll put them at your feet. You can become a big deal. Right? These kingdoms are offered to us. Different way of being in the world. But if we walk that way, it's, it amounts to worship of another God, right? And we all face these temptations. We face these temptations in our marriages and in our families. What does it look like? You know, the, the, what does it look like to have the kingdoms of this world placed at your feet in relationship you know, to your marriage? You know, what does that look like? You could have the kingdoms of this world. Well, let's, let's trade this one in for a younger model. Right? Thankfully, I'm younger than my wife, so she's basically already done that. She just started off, you know, right from the get-go. Um, you can have the kingdoms of this world, right? You can have it. Yeah, but is that... Is that the way of Yahweh? Is that the right way? So there are kingdoms that we can have if we'll shift our love and focus to a lesser God. Jesus, though, rejects the lesser God and the kingdoms and the power that he's offered in that scenario. And he rejects them in favor of bringing God's kingdom or God's way. Now this kingdom requires, friends, and this seems to be always the way it is, unfortunately, the kingdom of God seems to require great sacrifice and often a bit of suffering. Doesn't it? It's like the way of the cross. It's the narrow way. It's the harder way sometimes. But the other kingdoms are just not worth it. To reflect that God into the world is just not worth it. And so Lent provocatively asks the question about what kingdom we want to live in and out of. What kingdom do we want to live in and out of? And it calls on us to reflect on who the object of our worship is in the way that we live out these kingdoms. I, uh, those are pretty, those are some pretty heavy words I just gave you, right? They're just in the text, so I'm going to let you take that up with Jesus at some other, uh, some other time. I feel quite convicted by those words. 
Uh, but I think they're just so appropriate and they're, they're just sort of, they just get right to the, right to the guts of where we're all at, eh? Just, that's what the scriptures do, just sort of, just sort of divides us, gets right down there to the, right down to the bottom and it's a brilliant place to start Lent at. Just some deep soul searching. Friends, we're entering into Lent. We're following Jesus into the wilderness how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Well, I think it's a good idea to ponder what I said at the beginning about what it looks like to reject some things and to embrace other things. I think that's a good place to start. Just ask yourself the question, what do I need to reject and what do I need to embrace? What these two hands of Lent, rejection and embrace. What might God be calling you? To embrace or reject over the next 40 days. What might that look like for you? Don't, you don't have to tell anybody else. It might, be so, it might be a commitment that you make in the quiet of your own heart. It's actually probably best that way. But what, what, what are you called in this season to embrace or reject? What will you practice over this Lenten season with the goal of having your character transformed to look a bit more like Jesus than before you started. What would that look like for you? Not what does that look like for me, but what does that look like for you? What does that look like for us as a community, though? What does it look like for, for the church? As we um, continue to worship Jesus this morning... This might be a good thing to sort of reflect on. You know, we're going to, we'll probably have five or ten more minutes of, of uh, singing and stuff. But what, what kind of questions, uh, the, these are the kind of questions that we can ask as we start off this Lenten series. And um, I am going to be praying for you and I hope that you'll pray for me that we will come out the other end on Resurrection Sunday just looking a little bit more like Jesus personally and corporately. It's, it could require a little bit of suffering. I don't know. A little bit of abstaining. A little bit of, you know, sort of deferring of our uh, need for immediate gratification and all this kind of stuff. But gosh, guys, I think, I think this would be amazing if we gave ourselves to this. I'm going to give it a go. Um, it'd be great if you join me. Amen.